when I was getting heart palpitations as a young mother, panic attacks out of nowhere when driving my son to school, just this crippling dread upon waking up, I thought there's got to be a different way. This is Heart of the Story, and I'm needing Kenny Johnstone. I'm a writer and a writing coach who helps women develop and publish their memoirs and essays. But most importantly, I'm a human who's always trying to figure out what my soul is saying. Each week, I'll share stories and tips of healing, hope, and following my heart so that you'll feel inspired to follow yours. Hi, friends. I'm so excited to be with you today. We're just going to have a little chat, me and you. I want to talk about something that has been on my mind for months, if not years. And I'm very happy to also see that other people are talking about it. People that I have admired from afar are also talking about this. And that is burnout, productivity culture, how we resist or recover from these things. So let's dive in. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. So lately in the Midwest, we have seen a huge temperature change. So within the span of a week, it was in the 40s, gray. I was wearing my puffy sleeping bag style winter coat still in May. And then a week later, we have the AC on and it's in the 80s. (laughs) And what happens, I notice, is that whenever the weather warms up and gets sunny, I get this frenetic energy. I am such a warm weather person, such a sunshine person, that as soon as it gets really nice outside, I just want to do all of the things. I want to be everywhere and do everything and be out of the house at all times and just soaking up all of the nature and the sunshine. And I feel this inspiration to do so many things. It's just like boundless energy. But it goes beyond your healthy kind of energy, and I feel very frenzied. And I feel it in my heart. I feel like my heart is racing. (laughs) And I hear it in my brain because I hear, you should, you should, you should. And luckily, over the years, I've developed enough of a practice to know, hold on, hold on here. These are signs. Let's check in. Let's slow down a little bit. And it takes quite a bit of work to resist this sort of hamster wheel feeling of just wanting to go, 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 do, 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 be productive. And I have been talking a lot with my partner, Jamie, about this and also my spiritual kind of, uh, I don't even know what you call Anne. She's my person. She's the person I turn to when I'm moving through things and trying to get really wise words. And I said that I can feel always 
that there is this voice in my brain. I call her the shitter. <laughs> the shitter. She shoulds all over me. You should do this. You should do that. She is the taskmaster that is always pushing me to do more, more, more. And she is so very strong in my being. I grew up learning very early on the importance of hard work and I was rewarded and validated for the hard work I did. Academically, when I was a star student, I got a lot of uh, praise about this and I've had part-time jobs since I was very, very young, a young teenager. And this ethic has been instilled in me, which is wonderful and great, but to the point where rest and play and self-checking in, self-care, if you will, were not nearly as prioritized or rewarded or validated by our culture in general, right? And so my shitter voice is very strong in my head, and I'm sure many of you are nodding along. It never, ever shuts up. And I was talking with Anne about this the other day. I meet with her on Tuesday afternoons, and I said, oh, my shudder is just incessant. And she was like, all right, let's check in with this. Let's feel into this. If she had a voice, you know, what would she say? And, and what is she afraid of? What is she so afraid of? I thought, hmm, this is really interesting. I never thought about the fact that that part of my being usually speaks from fear. And I thought back to this and I realized that all of my life, I've gotten to distract myself from powerful emotions like sadness and loneliness and worry by doing things, by being distracted. And the times in my life when I've had too much idle time, I sometimes have felt really broken apart. So as an example, I went from being an honors student in high school in all of the sports, you know, typical type A personality. And then I went to college where there was no parent telling me when to come home and so many less hours of classes and no after school sports that I had to go to. And suddenly I had all of this free time. And you would think that this would be amazing, but it was terrifying to me. It was absolutely terrifying. I didn't know who I was if I wasn't productive. And so I did what a lot of young adults do, and I partied my behind off. And that definitely made me feel worse, <laughs> worse, worse, worse. And I remember waking up, you know, near noontime, whether in my dorm or then later living with friends and everybody already being out the door and just feeling so worthless. And eventually I got myself out of this rut, but I think that my shitter is afraid 
that if I have too much mental idle time, I will be very sad and lonely as I have been at various points in my life. And if I just have too much free time in general, I will have self-destructive behavior. And so I was talking about this with Anne and she helped me see a different side of myself, the sovereign side, the wise side, this intuitive, really, really knowing side of me that I also forgot has been there all along. I tap into her when I'm writing in my journal every morning, but I forget that she has been there the entire time. And so as I was talking with Anne, I somehow came upon the realization that I didn't stay in that self-destructive space. When I was a young adult, I got myself out of it. And Anne encouraged me to look into this more. And I started sobbing because I realized that somehow without any outside guidance other than my sovereign self, my wise internal self, I stopped partying as much. I started on Saturdays skipping tailgates and going to coffee shops to write. And I didn't even know what to write. And sometimes I would just stare blankly at my notebook. But there was some part of me that knew that there was a different way. And then there was also some part of me that started going for jogs with my friend Katie because it felt really, really good to do something other than bond with people over partying. And so we started going for jogs together and then eventually did the marathon. And the marathon wasn't the thing that I actually cared about. It was those long Saturday runs with Katie doing that rather than going to a football game and drinking beer. And so I realized that she knows some part of my sovereign self knows a different way and that I can trust myself, that I don't always have to tap into the shitter who's trying to control my every move or else I won't know what to do. I actually do know what to do <laughs> when I give myself time and space to actually tap in to that part. And so I share this with you so that you can start thinking about your shooter or whatever you might call that part of you, the to-do list maker, the you need to, you need to, you should, you should, whatever you call that part of yourself Asking that part of yourself, what are they afraid of? What is the fear that is driving them to constantly be productive? What are they trying to run away from or avoid? And then when you think back on your life, what has the sovereign self or your wise self, your knowing self, your intuitive self, whatever you want to call it, what has that led you to do? that has made you feel authentic and at peace and connected 
and healthy because that exists too and has always been there. What have they been guiding you through and to throughout your entire life? And why is that voice typically so soft? Well, I argue it's because the shitter voice is just so loud. And we don't create the time and the space to listen to our wise self. So I'm so glad that Anne, her name's Anne Baker, she walked me through this because it really tied together this other thing that I've been thinking about, which is the society that we live in and this productivity hustle culture. It is rampant. We are overworked, overwhelmed, inundated on all ends, getting beeps and calls and notifications and emails and everything taking our attention. And then on top of that, being driven, driven, driven to work, work, work at all times, never ending. We scratch things off of the to-do list only to add more. We think if I just get this done, then And no sooner does that time come than we put more on our plate. And we can't break away from it. We are tied to it. And in some ways, if we're honest, we are addicted to it. Because here is the question. Who would we be without being busy people? Essentially, we're asking, would I still be relevant If I'm not doing all of these things, one of my favorite people whom you've heard me talk about again and again, Shauna Nequist, she asks that very question. If we didn't have the stamp of capable person, as she says, then who would we be? And are we afraid that we wouldn't matter anymore. I know I am. I know, if I'm being honest, that part of what drives me is the desire to be important and relevant to other people, oftentimes to strangers that we don't even know or care about. (laughs) (laughs) And if we're being super, super honest, our own self-worth is tied up in being productive, responsible, capable, relevant. I realized this for the very first time when I read Shauna's book, Present Over Perfect. And it was like a thousand lights going on in my brain. Oh my goodness. If we took away those labels, what still stands? And then are we still worthy if we're not these machines, if we're not doing, 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 are we still worthy of love? Whoa, right? So I have been ruminating over all of these things and I have been trying for years to take one tiny baby step 
away from productivity culture. And then one more tiny baby step. And it is the hardest, one of the hardest things I've had to do in my own journey of self-understanding. And I imagine I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. Because as someone who loves words and people and wants to share what I'm thinking and feeling with other people and wants to help promote women and their stories, I love what I do so much that I never want to stop. I just want to do this all day and all night. But over the years, I've created some space for discernment to understand when I need to pause and rest, when I need to take care of myself, my people. But this overwhelm can be so easy for us to slip into, right? When we love what we do or we love the people we take care of, it's almost like before we know it, it can sneak up on us a lot of frenetic, frazzled energy. And I have been on this journey for years now, taking one baby step at a time away from productivity culture and hustle culture and into a more authentic space of, okay, What do I need in this moment? Does anything feel off? Am I operating from a place of authenticity or am I caught up on the treadmill? And the other day, I realized that I actually don't feel the way that I used to feel years ago when I was perpetually on that treadmill. And I'll give some examples later of what it felt like to be on that treadmill. But I didn't know the word for what that feeling was like years ago when I was a new mom and juggling multiple jobs and not having a minute in my day where I could breathe and scarfing down meals in my car while running to the next thing. I didn't know what that feeling was, or even that there was a term associated with it, until people started talking about it. And finally, as of late, I've noticed that everybody's talking about it. So one of the books, popular books that has come out more recently is a book called Burnout, and it's by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And it describes exactly that, this total feeling of too much, of overwhelm. And as soon as I found out about the book, I realized that, oh, burnout is what I was experiencing in the past. And burnout is what most of us on a daily basis, are experiencing in some capacity of our lives. So while I no longer feel professional burnout, I have definitely realized over the past couple of years the feeling of technology burnout, 
of constant inundation. And so oftentimes we're feeling really overwhelmed or totally numb to things that would otherwise bring us joy. Or we're feeling the opposite where we can't even do a simple task because we're just so overwhelmed. And there's another book that came out on that very subject. (laughs) It's called Can't Even (laughs) because the author says that we know we're burnt out when we can't even do simple tasks because we're so overburdened. And that book, Can't Even, is by a woman named Anne Helen Peterson. And she noticed this trend where so many people couldn't do simple tasks because they were so overburdened by life. I remember distinctly a moment like this that happened about mm, seven years ago. (laughs) So imagine I'm a mom of a two-year-old at that point. I am desperately working to solidify a full-time professor job at the university where I was teaching. I was also not making enough money to make ends meet at that university job, so also doing other jobs at the same time, and then trying to also be a wife and a friend and a sister, and let alone any time for myself. I'm in that mix, and I remember one day I went to go to the bathroom, and I went to reach for the toilet paper, and the roll was empty, and I got (laughs) teary-eyed. Because I couldn't handle one more thing. I just looked and there are no rolls in sight, right? I'm sitting there. There are no rolls anywhere. And I was so beaten down that I was just like, can't they invent some kind of refilling toilet paper roll? So this is not one more freaking thing we have to do on top of life and taxes and parenting and partnering and blah, 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 and working. I mean, I just had this whole thing in my head. That's what we mean when we say can't even, like cannot even handle one more thing. I remember another moment when my oil change light came on and I had a similar reaction where I was like, you mean to tell me that on top of caring for my family, putting food on the table, loving my people, helping my students that I have to go figure out this oil change situation. Like I don't even have a free 30 seconds in my schedule. I have negative 17 hours in my schedule and I have to somehow get this card to drop it off for an oil change. (laughs) And now I can look at this and see a number of problems with this, right? First of all, it's a privilege to have a vehicle to take for an oil change and to be able to get an oil change. Yes. And also, that really, truly was how packed in my life was that I always felt at such a deficit for time 
that I couldn't even fathom where this extra hour was going to come from. It, it, it could not come from anywhere. So when we talk about burnout and can't even, there's also another book called I Didn't Do the Thing Today about this very subject, right? Just not being able to do that thing that you were supposed to do. There's the supposed to. And yet, thinking to ourselves, is everything that I'm doing and I'm thinking I should be doing, is that, is that life now? Is that everything? Is, is this really how I want to live? Is this really how it's going to be? The never-ending to-do list, mostly filled with things that you don't want to do. And are we okay with the fact that society has made hustle culture so ingrained in us that we think it's the only way that more, bigger, better, doing, doing, doing is the only way? Are we okay with that? Have we just come to a general unspoken consensus and we're just going to keep trotting along? To me, when I was getting heart palpitations as a young mother, panic attacks out of nowhere when driving my son to school, just this crippling dread upon waking up, I thought, there's got to be a different way. There has got to be a different way. And that is part of what has spurred this continuous spiritual journey that I've been on because I thought if this is the way that I'm going to live the rest of my life it is completely unsustainable I cannot do this and I'm not even here for myself or my people when I am so in a pretzel over everything that I have to do that I can't breathe that my heart is beating out of my chest, that I am having a spontaneous panic attack. That is not okay. So our bodies speak to us. Martha Beck has a beautiful book about this called The Way of Integrity. And she talks about when we become so misaligned with our true nature and we're not listening to the little whispers Eventually, they start shouting by way of sometimes physical symptoms. And it's like, pay attention, pay attention. Certainly, my panic attacks were that. And so all of these people that I admire have been talking about this recently. And I'm delighted. So Shauna Nequist wrote that book years ago, Present Over Perfect, and then Martha Beck comes out with The Way of Integrity. And then suddenly I'm going through podcasts one day and I see this podcast called Quitted by Emily McDowell and Holly Whitaker. And they each have produced and created amazing things and gigantic companies. And they have shifted their lives, and walked away from the things that they've created. 
I devoured (laughs) those early episodes because I just thought nobody is talking about walking away. Everybody is talking about maximizing and optimizing and nobody is talking about pausing. Nobody besides like meditators, right? Nobody who's also trying to create and be creative is simultaneously talking about when to pause or stop or walk away. And they had this episode with Elizabeth Gilbert that I have listened to multiple, multiple times. Because, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love, Big Magic, Signature of All Things, City of Girls, yada, yada. You know all about her. Well, what you might not know if you don't follow her on social media is that she's been very absent from social media for like the last year, very absent from public appearances, very absent from podcast appearances. And at first I just thought it was part of the pandemic. And I also thought that maybe it was because her partner Rhea had passed away a few years ago, thought maybe it was part of her grief process. And so she came on to quit it and she talked about candidly her very purposeful stepping away from the public eye that she purposely chose to not go on social media that she purposely has chosen to not say yes to everything that comes her way she has quit in fact a lot of things in the past few years she's talked about not getting into relationships the way that she used to And I listened to the podcast and I just felt like, whoa, somebody's talking about doing things a different way. And here's what she said that really got me. She said, I knew that I had to step away when I was checking everywhere else for validation. I was posting something and then going back and then going, okay, did somebody like it? Did these people like it? Who liked it? And she said, this goes against all the things that I have previously done to really do my own work on myself. All that work is about how I feel about myself, not how anybody else feels about me. And so she knows it's time to step away when she is turning to a thing for validation or say we're turning to something for escape or we're turning to something to distract. Validation and escape and distraction are usually key things that maybe we are not in our integrity or in alignment. And so she started talking about this and I just thought, oh wow. She said she knew when she was doing certain things and she didn't want to come back to quote unquote the real world, that it was time to step away. And so it really got me thinking about stepping away from things, when and why and how important it is and why it's very necessary to pause or stop something for good. So I'm going along and I'm ruminating and I'm thinking about all of these things in my own life. And if you've been following along, you know, in the past couple of years, I've stepped away from a lot of different things. 
So probably the biggest thing is that in the midst of the pandemic, I stepped away from a full-time teaching position at a university. And I had been in academia for 13 years, almost 14 years at that point. And this was like the coveted thing that I had worked really, really hard to achieve a full-time teaching position after years of adjuncting and, you know, teaching at one place, teaching in another. And I loved my job and I loved the people that I worked with. I loved making a difference as a professor. It was very rewarding to be able to see a student improve their writing and just feel seen and heard. And at the same time, I could tell that it was taking a toll on me. The burnout was real. I was teaching back-to-back classes, scarfing down food on a 10-minute break in between one class and another, racing from there to get home to pick my son up off the bus, and then still not being fully supported. Most professors are, are not financially or benefit-wise supported the way that they should be. And so most of the academics I know had to also piece together other things in order to really sustain a living. And if they weren't financially stressed, they were mentally and emotionally stressed because they were so darn tired. And then academics are clamoring for the coveted tenure positions, which are few and far between. And more and more, it just felt like this isn't something that I could sustain for decades. It got to a place where it was like, I don't even know if I could sustain this for another year. And the pandemic certainly put even more stress on teachers and professors to juggle and to be always available to students, even when not in person. And so I stepped away from the position, one, because we were relocating, and so I couldn't physically go to that university anymore. But two... I'd been writing in my journal as I realized I went back and looked. I need to create space. I'm so overwhelmed. I can't keep doing this at this pace. The writing was on the walls. And for so long, I loved coaching women authors. And I would write in my journal, if only I could do this full time. (laughs) So in the midst of the pandemic, I took that leap. And that's scary. (laughs) Leaving security, leaving stability, to go out on your own, to do the thing you love. But in order to create space, we oftentimes have to step away from something else. And I've stepped away from so many other things. I've stepped away from habits I've stepped away from unhealthy friendships 
or relationships with people in friends and family circles where it just wasn't healthy anymore. I have deleted social media apps for long periods of time. I have not been on Facebook for many, many years because I can't um, mentally keep track of more than one kind of social media platform. And at night, I have a very strict cutoff of putting my phone away in my office at night and not taking it up to bed with me because otherwise there is the scroll, scroll, scroll. And so we talk about stepping away. And then I was so excited to see, again, more people talking about it. Clennon Doyle on her podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. She's talking about burnout. And then Brene Brown. I'm on her newsletter and I got an email the other day that talks about how she's creating space by taking a 14-week sabbatical the entire summer. And she said she's never done it. And the very thought of it is terrifying to her because she's not even good at taking a week off, but she wanted to take off this summer and see what would happen. And here's what she said that really, really struck me. And she was quoting Viktor Frankl, who she thinks may have gotten it from somebody else, but basically that there's space between stimulus and response. And that's really what creates the knowing and the discernment. And I'm paraphrasing here. And she says, when she got sober, that sobriety created space between the stimulus and the response, the pause. When on her podcast, when she's talking to people and they ask her a question, she pauses on the podcast. It's dead air, but she wants to look inward and see what she actually thinks about it. Not just like, you know, without thinking, blurt out something. And she said, the busier she has gotten, the smaller that space has become. And she wants that space to be bigger again. And I thought, yes, this is where pausing, stepping away is absolutely necessary because this space allows for discernment. Like, is this a full body? Yes. And answering the questions, what am I actually doing this for? Elizabeth Gilbert says she asks the higher power, her, you know, she, she writes to love every day. She asks what wants to be done? Not necessarily what do I want to do, though that's very helpful. What wants to be done? Not your should, your taskmaster, but the goodness within you. What does it want to do and create or notice? Interesting, right? But when do we create this space to actually have that discernment? This is what I've been working on for years. This past year and a half in particular, I've been making my morning time sacred. I move my body in the morning, I eat a good breakfast, and then when the house is empty for an hour, when Jamie is dropping Geo off at school, I meditate and I journal. I have berated myself about that hour of time. There's so much I should be doing. There are a million emails to answer. There are a million things to do. And that hour is precious. And at times I've gone, really? You're going to take a full hour 
Who are you to do that? It is everything. It is single-handedly the thing I look back on over the past year and a half that I know has saved me again and again and again and makes me feel like I actually know myself and that I am behaving from a place of who I am at the core, not just what should be done or the status quo or what society wants me to do. Creating this space. And now it's hard to create that space. It's really, really hard. It's hard to find time. First of all, right? We know this. It's hard to find the time. Where does that time come from? Well, yes to this means no to something else, but also yes to something else means no to this. So we know this, but I find that even harder than that is convincing yourself that it's okay. That deeming yourself worthy of the 20 minutes of discernment or the hour or that week off or that summer off. And of course, we think about, you know, certain people have the means to do such things. And yet also, I think a big voice in our heads that's actually stopping us is this voice that Shauna Nequa says, where we go, must be nice. We see someone resting. We see someone having a fun vacation online. We see someone going on retreat. We see someone taking themselves out to breakfast and we think must be nice. Like who are those people to have that kind of time? or to make that kind of time. And she says, as soon as you utter the words must be nice, it is like a little alert for your brain that's basically saying, pay attention. This is actually what you're yearning for. It's actually what you're yearning for. So whether it is 10 minutes or half an hour, or longer, or weeks, or months, whatever space looks like for you. What is it that you're yearning for? What do you say must be nice to? To me, when people are playing, laughing, feeling joyful, in the past I've thought must be nice, but I don't have that kind of time. Oh my goodness. I step back and I go, wait a minute. So I'm not worthy of joy. I'm not worthy of laughter. So my whole life is simply about work. I should only ever work. Would I ever tell my son that? Would I ever tell my best friend, my sister that? Your sole job on this planet is to produce like a machine. No joy, no laughter, no rest. What a loss. What a loss. So when you're thinking about this and you're going, no, I can't do that for me. Think about what you would say to a beloved and see if that changes anything. And so we know that we don't have enough space. There are telltale signs We know that we don't have enough space, mental, emotional, physical, 
when we are scroll, scroll, scrolling, when we have automatic behavior, when we go into our, we pick up our phone automatically without even realizing it. And we press that app without even realizing it. When we are addictively coming back to something, whether it's our phones or food or booze or whatever, when we are coming back to it, Glennon Doyle calls those the easy buttons. When we are coming back to the escapist behavior, we know that there isn't enough space. Sometimes it exudes in numbness. We don't feel anything. Or the opposite, we're overly reactive. Something happens and we're just jumping. Sometimes we withdraw from our people. We're physically there, but not mentally or emotionally there. We can't handle mundane tasks, you know, i.e. the toilet paper. We say to ourselves, I just need to make it till Friday. I just need to make it through the next month. And then that time comes. And nothing's different. We know it when (laughs) Shauna talks about this too in her book, and I'm sure many people can relate. Like she was saying in present over perfect, if someone gave her like all the time and, and money in the world, her main thing she was realizing was that she just wanted to be alone and sleep. And she was like, wait a minute. So my biggest desire is to just be by myself and withdraw. Okay, well, that means something's off. There is a void here. I need to fill back up so that my greatest desire in life isn't to go away. So when we're constantly going, I just want to be alone. I just want to be alone. I just want sleep. I just want sleep. That might be an indication that you do need some time to yourself and you do need some space so that you can know where you are mentally, physically, emotional, and then return to your people and your life. So what does this actually look like? How do we create a mental, emotional, physical space? Well, it's a pausing or a quitting. A pausing or fully stepping away from something. It's one or the other, usually. That's how we create space. So a fancy word might be a sabbatical. You know, we used to think about this for academics, Oh, I used to be so jealous of the professors who reached tenure track and got to take sabbaticals. Oh, this time off. But now it doesn't have to be reserved only for a select few. We can take all kinds of sabbaticals. So, for example, I listen to Emily P. Freeman, who runs the podcast The Next Right Thing. Great podcast. And every July, she takes a sabbatical. So she doesn't put out new podcast episodes. She scales back on her work. And she takes more inward time and more playful time to do the things that she loves to do. And everything is different, right? This doesn't mean 
We have responsibilities, yes. This isn't an encouragement of complete recklessness. This is a, what can you pause? What can you step away from to create space for other things that are good and right for you, your people, your heart? So then Brene Brown was talking about her sabbatical and she said in her email, I'm not going to be on social media until September. There aren't going to be any more podcasts this summer. She says, additionally, I told my team that they now have Fridays off all summer and mandatory four weeks vacation in addition to whatever vacation they were already taking off. They get four more weeks. This is how much creating space is important. So it can look very different. So mentally, how do you create mental space so that you can actually kind of get through the overwhelm? There's a great book out called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, and it talks about how it's not our fault that we're being so distracted by apps. Because apps and phones and technology are designed to steal our attention. This leads to the question, what can we put in place to get our mental energy and focus back? What can we do? This is what I'm seeing in my life is technology burnout. The constant distraction of more and more emails or notifications and then not being able to focus on the task at hand, the addictive behavior of wanting to go back to my phone to answer another email or complete an administrative task. I've noticed burnout in the tech area of my life, or even sometimes thinking about the phone and its inundation of information can make me have a bit of a heart skip, (laughs) you know, like, oh my goodness, it's just too much. There's just too much there. And there are a lot of things that we can do, right? I think that the out of office message is underutilized. (laughs) We need to utilize this more. Think of anyone that you've ever tried to contact and you see that they are out of the office and probably you think good for them. We don't need to be within reach to everyone 24 seven, though technology has made us think that we do. So I myself have created really strong kind of work hour boundaries where people know that I will get back to them in a reasonable time, but not at seven at night when I'm with my family or one in the morning, certainly not, not on weekends. I keep regular office hours. And so have you slipped into any habits of answering phone, email, text messages during all times of the day and night and is that overwhelming and maybe even if you're not answering them you're receiving the notifications or checking the emails does your phone come up to bed with you does it lead to the scroll 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 do you need to put do not disturb up on your phone 
I've certainly done this in the past where we've taken camping weekends and I think what good is it if I'm camping but I'm still getting alerts and dings. So I've put, you can change your do not disturb message to read out of the office or I'm away from phone. So I've, I've put up, I'm taking a phone break this weekend or I'm taking a tech break for the next few days and it comes up as an automatic response on a text message. My goodness, is that freeing just to take a little break and be able to get in tune with yourself so that you're not here, but then actually really mentally pulled elsewhere. Because you know, sometimes you'll be going about your day and then you get some email or text or notification that is very unsettling. And it's as if somebody uninvited has come to your doorstep of your heart and just opened it without your permission and just sabotaged your entire day. The thing is, you can lock that door. You can say, I'm not home. Meaning you can turn off that phone and put on that out of office or do not disturb or tech break message. And you can even design it so that only certain people can get through. So the people you really need to hear from, your your partner or family member, or whomever, can still get in touch with you. These are things within our control. So oftentimes it starts with looking at technology, but you might also think about what's taking up your mental space and energy. Is there a way you can pare down? Like I follow a woman who has her own business and she said, you know what? This online shop was taking up a lot of mental space for me. I'm closing it. There's another entrepreneur that I really respect. And she said, you know what? She was doing these kind of online videos and she was creating all of them and putting them up. And she was realizing they were underutilized. Like people actually weren't going in and watching these videos. And she just thought, why am I doing that anymore? I'm not going to do that. So what is taking up your mental space? And then can you step away from those things or put pauses or delegate elsewhere so that you can create mental space? In terms of emotional space, are there ties that you need to sever? Or more gently, are there things you need to get distance on, people you need to get distance from? Like many of us, I at various times in my life have had to create a lot of distance between myself and another person to be healthy and have boundaries. I've needed to stop relationships, even though it's been very, very painful and not easy for people involved. So distancing, severing ties, sometimes that helps with the emotional space. Are there things you need to process? So I'll give you an example. Last summer, we were on the road, right? In our camper, we went on this road trip. But also, I was processing the grief of having just lost my father to cancer. I was processing the fact that we were at the time moving away from my mom and sister in Illinois. 
And yet we went right from selling our house to getting on the road and there was no time built in to process any of this grief. And so one day I could just feel the emotional weight of it all bubbling up. And I went to this coffee shop in Door County, Wisconsin, and I knew that they had like this office space that you could rent. And I went up to the woman at the counter and I said, can I rent that office space for an hour? It was like downstairs. The, the coffee shop is really cool. It's an old church building, hence even more of the emotional stuff coming up, right? It, it felt like a sacred space. So it's a coffee shop within this converted church and they had a basement like office space. So I knew exactly what I was using that hour for. And I went downstairs into the office space and I closed the door and I put sad music into my headphones and I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept. I was so embarrassed. I thought that certainly they heard me upstairs. I mean, I was sobbing like a full body sobbing, but I knew that if I did not get that out, I didn't know what was going to happen. So are there things that you need to process? They're not going to go away. Are there emotions you need to deal with? And then physical space, creating physical space. Do you need some alone time? Do you need a change of scenery in order to loosen up, create some space internally? What do you need to do externally to change internally? You know, I've talked about so many times how important retreats are to me when I go on retreat. And oftentimes I like to go to a different place, even if it's a new coffee shop, to go have retreat time, another state, another place, whatever is feasible at the moment, because the change in environment leads to a change of perspective. Time and space work wonders on our perspective. I'll even give you an example. So usually I meditate inside, but now that we've had nicer weather, I've been going to our backyard where I have a nest chair. It's like a half dome and it has pillows all inside and I sit in it and it's my favorite thing. And I sat in it a couple days ago and I looked up at the tree and because we've been in this rental house for a few months, I've never seen this tree in spring. So I looked up and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. There are these little red balls on the branches. It must be a berry producing tree. Today I came back to the nest and I was meditating and then I finished my meditation and I looked up as I was journaling and I saw that those red balls were not berries. In fact, they were buds and they were all flowering Time and space create a perspective change. They allow for clarity. They allow you to see things for what they actually are. So the physical change in space, just going to a new spot, looking at something differently, creating physical time, right? When someone asks for something, say, I'll think about it and get back to you in two days. I'll think about it and get back to you next week. We have the right to do that. Creating physical time and physical space change in order to get clarity. And so then what? We create this space. Say we clear some time off of our calendars. Guess what? 
It is not easy peasy from here. In fact, this is the hardest part. There is the terror. You want to go back to the addictive behavior. It's true. You spent all this time just yearning to have time and space. And the first thing that comes up, you're terrified. What do I do? I don't know what to think. I don't know what behaviors to have. I don't know how to fill this time. I'm used to being busy, 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 productive, productive, productive. It is terrifying. Elizabeth Gilbert talked about this in that podcast, Unquitted. One of the biggest withdrawals from social media, she said, and again, I'm paraphrasing, was the realization of not being special, not being relevant. That is within all of us. So you sit there and you go, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, right? Who am I now? What do I do? I've created this space. Now what? Now what? Martha Beck says, follow your curiosity. It never leads you astray. What wants to be done? What are you interested in? What do you actually want to explore? And resist the urge to dismiss it. If you need a job, break out a journal and check in with how you're actually feeling. If your brain needs a job, meditate. Go for a walk. Notice nature. Within this space, eventually, special things do happen. Now, I can't guarantee that you'll be productive or you'll think of your next big idea. That's not the point. The point is that beauty happens in the space. You come back home to yourself. You remember who you are. You remember what joy looks like. You remember what laughter looks like. You notice flowers. You notice nature. Gratitude pours in. How lucky I am. This is what happens when you create space. This is where you check in with your sovereign self, your wise self, and you ask, what's my next step? What do I need to know right now? What can I notice? And I'll tell you, it's usually not the answer you want to hear. It's not, go write the next best novel and here's the great idea. Usually it's very simple. Have a cup of coffee. Slowly. Look at the birds. Hug your partner. Sit. Rest. Just notice. Still yourself. Breathe. Slow your racing heart. This space starts filling the void and starts slowing the racing. And this is hard because it's not that adrenaline surge that you're used to. 
It's not that addictive hit of dopamine that you get when you check that thing off or you answer that email or whatever it is. But it's a much more peaceful existence. Sarah Blanin, one of the people I love so much, she talks about how addicted we are to the cyclone of anxiety. We want to go up, up, up. It's addictive. Peace is not addictive. (laughs) Peace is a still lovingness within you that is so gentle and tender. It doesn't have that chick, that big up that the addictive behavior we're used to does. Mm, but it's much more sustainable. It's much more fulfilling. It fills the void in a way that the addictive behavior never, ever will. You might get that rush with the other stuff, but the whole, the void is always, always there. So this is what I've been thinking about. (laughs) This is what's been on my mind lately. And I sit back and I admire the people who are not just exploiting their lives online and just working themselves to the bone. I sit back and I go, I want to emulate that. I want some things to be sacred and not for public consumption. I want to do things other than check off, check off, check off the list. I want to know what matters. And recently I looked back and I reflected on some of the happiest moments over the past couple of years. And so, you know what some of my happiest moments are? Talking about what matters, like on this podcast. Having coffee every morning with my husband. Reading books with my son. Making a nature mandala outside out of flowers with him. Rhododendron, forsythia, bluebells, putting them in a pattern. If I had not created space for these things, they never would have happened. Never. And these are the things that matter the most. When we look back, checking, checking our phone or scrolling, scrolling through the app, usually that's not going to make the list. So let's remember that. And as I've talked about again and again how precious our time on this earth is. As has become all too obvious to all of us, myself included. I just think more and more, I want to spend my time on the things that matter to me, that fully matter. And what matters to me is sharing my thoughts with other people writing down the lessons that I've been learning, hugging my loved ones, sitting still in nature. This is what matters to me. 
And I put them out there because I guess too, one day, I hope that all the people in my life are very well aware that these little moments that we created space for, they mattered. The creating space mattered. What seems like wasteful time or silly time, jumping on a trampoline or having an ice cream cone or going for a walk, that mattered the most. So let's create space today. For me, this summer, I know that I'll be creating extra space to ride bikes with my family, to spend some time on my own creativity, to enjoy nature and sunshine. So that'll look like stepping away from technology more and more. You know, having those phone breaks, having more space in the calendar. And then when I do the things that I love, like working with women in the retreats that we're leading this summer, like the one we have in Door County, just coming up in a few days, the one that we have in Camden, Maine in August, That means that when I show up, I'm fully there, all of me. That the women get all of me. And then when I'm working on my own creativity, my creativity gets all of me. And then when I'm with my family members, they get all of me. The phone apps, they don't get all of me, right? (laughs) So what about you? What will it look like for you? Maybe you'll take yourself for a walk today, or maybe you'll even go as far as to take a weekend for yourself. Maybe you'll decide to let go of a habit. Maybe you'll reevaluate where your minutes and hours go on any given day. So you can ask yourself if that's how you want to be spending your time. So where can you create a pause, a sabbatical space? Where might you walk away from something that's not serving you? And then what do you want to replace that time with? What goodness do you want to fill your soul with? Let's think about that today. I hope that you get whatever it is you're yearning for. I hope that creating space brings you some peace. I want to thank you for coming back week after week. If this was a helpful episode, share it with a friend. That's one text message they might like to get, right? <laughs> that's, that's a bit of technology that might help out. Maybe someone needs to hear this today. It would mean the world to me to pass on goodness to each other. That's a message that is worth spreading, right? How can we create space today? Thank you to my producer, Michelle Rado, for always making this podcast the very best. And thank you for listening. Remember everyone, every heart has a story and every story has a heart. See you next week.